everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Dan Pardo, and this is Pardo's Turn, my ongoing YouTube channel and podcast where I highlight the classic show tune from a music director's point of view, and with the help of a special guest, perhaps shed some light on what makes the gems of our musical theater canon so great. Today's guest is the luminous Elizabeth Ward Land, whom I met in Amazing Grace, first in Chicago, then at the Nederlander Theater. Her other Broadway credits include City of Angels, Memphis, Passion, Scandalous, and all three iterations of The Scarlet Pimpernel. She was seen off-Broadway in Southern Comfort, Curvy Widow, The Green Heart, Hello Again, and Chess, and toured nationally with Les Mis, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, and the music of Andrew Lloyd Webber. Her most recent regional credit was a run of another Andrew Lloyd Webber musical, Sunset Boulevard, where she starred as the iconic Norma Desmond. Elizabeth wasn't quite ready to give up that limited engagement, and so today she will be reprising Norma's opening turn with one look. As a property, Sunset Boulevard was famously explored by a few high-profile composers, including a young Stephen Sondheim, who was ultimately discouraged from pursuing the project after pitching the idea to Billy Wilder at a cocktail party. And while Sondheim eventually won an Academy Award for his neo-noir adaptation of Dick Tracy, Perhaps Lloyd Webber, whose career was made telling big stories about big people, was a better fit for bringing Gloria Swanson's star turn to the stage. I am big. It's the pictures that got small. The title, With One Look, an obvious allusion to the first impression she's giving Joe Gillis, is careful and deliberate in its language. She's a silent film star, so it can't be with one word or one sound or one exchange, her audience could only look. Similarly, the phrase, it's there in black and white, usually made in reference to facts in a newspaper, takes on a new meaning here, again, tying her to the movies before Technicolor and the Vitaphone. The melody at the top is as dramatic as she is, with a descending octave leap right out of the gate, further explorations down to the A below, and an intuitive, motivic pattern that seems familiar, even famous. Yum pum 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 Yum pum 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 As her lyric states, with one look you'll know all you need to know. And yet, her apparent transparency is more intimidating than disarming, very clearly establishing the power structure between the characters on stage. The bridge picks up tempo and adopts a sophisticated, quasi-baroque quality especially paired with the lyrics, which assert that her innate characteristics cannot be replicated by the written word, it comes off as a challenge to this young screenwriter. And the sudden modulation that comes a phrase later ups the ante as if to say, you'd better catch up if you want to stay with me, Gillis. In the next verse, the accompaniment gets much more lush and full, cinematic, if you will. While my piano reduction won't do the score much justice, we have to remember that when Sunset Boulevard was revived a few years ago, it boasted the largest orchestra on Broadway. 40 pieces, even bigger than the recent On the Town or shows at Lincoln Center. It's thrilling and really evocative of that Hollywood studio sound. This would be especially true in the brief instrumental break, but again, sorry, imagine a full string section. The phrase silent music starts to play, which comes out of the orchestral feature, can be taken literally as these silent pictures from the 20s had soundtracks often played by live instrumentalists. But I can't help recognize the oxymoron in play silent music, and connect Desmond to the inherent contradiction. There's something not quite right about what she's saying, something not quite true. She declares at the end, in a triumphant rhythmic march, this time I'm staying, I'm staying for good. But can her story be taken at face value? Or does it deserve more than just one look? 
Hi, Elizabeth. Hi. <laughs> I'm here with Elizabeth Wardland, and I'm so thrilled uh, that you came on uh, just off the heels of a really fabulous concert I saw like, like a week and a half ago at um, Green Room 42. And it was a tribute to send up to Linda Ronstadt. Well, when I really got serious about an evening of music, I thought about every genre of music that I loved. Mm -hmm. In every genre, she was there. Always it was a frustrated pop singer, mm -hmm. but I'd had a lot of classical training. Right. So um, Both as a vocalist and an instrumentalist. instrumentalist. So I started off as an oboe player and mm -hmm. played the piano. I played the piano because my mother was a piano teacher. Right. So she ended up has been a, uh, a great musical touchstone for me and a, a very good vocal fit. Mm -hmm. um, she has a flutey head voice, I have a flutey head voice. She can sing really low, she can belt, she loves to sing country folk, rock, a mm -hmm. um, little bit of everything. She loves to sing harmony. I am never happier than when I am singing <laughs> with other people. Yeah. I don't care if I'm the lead line, I don't care if I'm the bass line, I just love singing harmony. So, um, I have to quick shout out Catherine and Joel who oh, uh, were singing with her at the concert. Have you been singing for a long time together? Well, I've sung with Joel before. Yeah. Joel and I did Southern Comfort with oh, okay. Barrington and, and the Public. And then Republic. Catherine Porter and I did the music of Andrew Lloyd Webber, mm -hmm. actually the tour in 1992. We toured okay. over the world with Michael Crawford. Well, the three of you were just Flawless together. You should do more. <laughs> Thank you. Well, there I'm, I'm doing. I'm announcing in a second date today. Oh, great. Actually, yes, September 27th. We're going to do a second date. The response was really overwhelming, yeah. and um, I couldn't listen to Linda Ronstadt's songs without hearing harmony. So I just had to have singers. Now, one thing that you were talking about just now is uh, various genres that you like. Um, I consider you to be a very eclectic uh, <laughs> yeah. performer. Have you always been such a diverse and dynamic uh, musical performer, or is this something that you've kind of globbed on with different projects that you've been associated with? Interesting question. I think I realize now that I was always this way. Mm -hmm. So I'm, you know, of a, of a generation that we didn't have a musical theater degree. You were either going into the conservatory to be in a classical singer or you were going to be an actor. Mm -hmm. As the singing evolved and as we put a microphone on our head, the singing changed. Mm -hmm. um, so I think I was a good mix of classical training and legit training and then the pop edge of the, of the songs that I had always listened to on the record player growing mm -hmm. up. Really, that's how I wanted to sing. But there wasn't, it didn't translate into the medium that I loved the most, which is the musical theater. Mm -hmm. So when I came to New York, and it was truly the British invasion, yeah. um, you really needed to be able to have, to have a legit sound with a pop lilt. So it was yeah. kind of perfect for me when I think about it now. I had also grown up with the music of, of the Great American Songbook, mm -hmm. sang a lot of Ella Fitzgerald, a lot of, lot of Barbra Streisand, obviously, mm -hmm. a lot of, listened to Love, Frank Sinatra. So my first Broadway show was City of Angels. Yeah. And the yeah. reason I got City of Angels was because of my vocal range. I had, you had to hit a low C sharp. There's not a morning. Yeah. And there weren't a lot of girls that could do it. And you had to be able to, to really fall into that big band pocket easily. Mm -hmm. So who knew that all of these things that I had been listening to were making me who I was. Now, you grew up in Denver, I grew up right? in Denver. Um, what, what's that music scene like? Is there were a couple of professional theaters there, but the Denver Center was just at the beginnings. Mm -hmm. um, and we had Bonfils Theater, and then we had a lot of music, but it was kind of, it was 70s folk and early rock, like Jackson Brown, okay. um, from w when I was there. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm actually going back next week for it's my, it's my and you're going to look better than ever. <laughs> like we can only hope. <laughs> now, uh, you said you were coming into New York uh, as a professional uh, actor-musician during this Great British Invasion, and today we're going to explore uh, a song from Sunset Boulevard, which you just played. 
you uh, did one of the first tours of Les Mis, and uh, you also went on the road with um, the Andrew Lloyd Webber. Yeah, the Andrew Lloyd Webber. Um, what is it about Andrew Lloyd Webber music, or maybe even just the British invasion in general, that uh, you know, entices you as a performer? Yeah. As well, I, I mean, the man can really write a song. Mm -hmm. I think I Don't Know How to Love Him is a great song. Mm -hmm. Any of the Avita things. Certainly, I think the Sunset material, after, after having just done it, um, his material for her is... It's, it's a masterpiece. It's perfectly written. It tells you everything you need to know about the character. Um, I think we come in with some expectations about the character because oh, she's yeah. so iconic. So you don't really have to work at that because mm -hmm. he's also musicalized for it. Sure. And the, certainly the song that we're going to do is, is within the first six minutes of meeting Norma Desmond. You're going to mm -hmm. see her sing a, an aria to her dead chimp. Right. And then have a very small three-line conversation with this gentleman who thinks she, who she thinks is the Undertaker, mm -hmm. and ends up being a, a, a screenwriter. Then, in the intro of this beautiful song, she's sizing him up and deciding how much she wants to expose of herself. Right. Um, and then through the song, you're going to learn everything that you want to learn about Norma Desmond, and that you're going to see here her the way she views herself, the history of it. So. It's just great writing. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm a fan. You know, I'm an Anna Bastian Weber fan. Uh, I have spent many, many happy days singing his music. With one look, I can break your heart. With one hook, I play every part. I can make your sad heart sing. With one look, you'll know all you need to know. With one song, I'm the man next door. All the love that you have hungered for. My soul, I can play any role. The words you tell, the stories my eyes tell. Watch me when I frown. You can't write that down. You know I'm right. It's there, black and white. With one look, my way. Yes, with one look, they'll forgive the past. 
So one of the other kind of big sweeping projects that you've had a long history with <laughs> is uh, Scarlet Pimpernel. Right, right. And uh, so I know there were... Oh there my gosh, three, so many different versions. So there's what, three main ones that people kind three of Three main ones, to? yeah. One, what, one, two, and three. How long of a, of a time span did, did that uh, encompass? Okay, so I did original workshop um, readings of mm -hmm. Scarlet Pimpernel, um, always playing my part, which is always just a small part, mm -hmm. um, Marie, who becomes, ends up being Madame Tussaud. I did the first version, we opened the first version um, in fall of 97. And um, we started rehearsal for that in summer of 97. And, you know, we didn't get great reviews, but, um, and we were at the Minskoff, which was a really big barn to fill. But the show started building. This was in the early days of the fan pages on the internet. I mean, yeah. it, it doesn't seem like it was that long ago, but it, we didn't have that yet. No, it's, it's, it's been a fast history. It's been a fast history. Then by the summer of 98, they, um, we were going to close the show. We didn't win any Tonys. It was nominated for Best Musical. Douglas was nominated Best Costumes and I think Best Book. Mm -hmm. um, didn't win anything. It was the year of Ragtime, Lion King, and Cabaret. Right. Um, and we were told the show was going to close, but instead, a man from Madison Square Gardens stepped in. He was a super fan of the show, and he wanted to reinvent it. So they let go of the director and a couple of our stars, and we reworked the show, changed where numbers were in the show, yeah. and cut out songs. Did um, you write new material as well? No, there was no... Okay. There, they, they just pulled from other things mm -hmm. um, and eliminated some songs. Um, you Are My Home, which was late in the second act, in the jail now became the wedding song. Mm -hmm. So they used the material that they had in ingenious ways. Opened that one in the fall of 98. And that ran until spring of 99. I left the show to go up to Goodspeed, actually, to do um, Terry Mann's um, Rock and Roll, Romeo and Juliet. Mm -hmm. And then my husband and I both went back into the show. By summer of 99, Equity made them close it down for six weeks. They wanted to eliminate 10 tracks. Tracks. Yeah, 10 people. It was a huge show. And they, by this time, the show had built this kind of crazy fan group, mm -hmm. and but they couldn't operate it anymore. So we closed it down for six weeks, which was very awkward and sad, mm -hmm. um, but they did it. And then we remounted it with two, with three new different stars and moved it to the Neil Simon. Mm -hmm. So that was really, what, 3.0. And we went to Dallas, Houston, and Atlanta and kind of worked it out and then opened it in fall of 99, and it closed in January of 2000. And then, then I did the national tour mm -hmm. for about six months. And did that mirror version 3.0? That mirrored version the smaller version that mm -hmm. was much more, I think, producible. And that, I yeah. think, is the version that people do. And it, it has now become, a, people think of it as a hit. Mm -hmm. Now when I talk to people about Pimpernel, it's one of their favorite shows. Again, Frank Wildhorn can mm -hmm. really write a melody. Mm -hmm. You will never hear me squawk about him. I'm a huge <laughs> fan and spent three and a half fantastic years of my life in, yeah. in Scarlet Pimpernel. Thank, Thank you, Elizabeth. It's, such, you. it's such an honor to have you on. Uh, where can they find your work? Uh, I have a website, www.elizabethwardland.com. I also have a CD called First Harvest. It's on all of the streaming sites, Spotify, iTunes, any of those. Um, and who knew that when I did my CD 10 years ago, I look at my CD now and it's like, mm -hmm. it's Linda Ronstadt. It's all of the all this genres that she did and I didn't even know. I was foreshadowing. Yeah. I, there's a really great um, pull quote from Al Mankin, of all people. Um, you did Sister Act in uh, Pasadena. Did you work with him directly there? I did, yeah. It was a real heartbreak for me, honestly. Uh, yeah. I did... Um, a whole summer of workshops and 
exploration of the piece, and then we did it at Pasadena Playhouse and the Alliance. Mm -hmm. So I did it for about 10 months. And then I did not get it when it came to Broadway. But I, you know, I was my first time over the title, and mm -hmm. it was I was extremely proud of my work. Yeah, um, as you should. Yeah, and so Ellen and I became very close. And when I was making the CD, my producer was like, "You don't really have any Broadway songs on here." I'm like, "Yeah, I know." I know. <laughs> and I and I so I, he's like, "You really should have a Broadway song." So I thought, "What could I do?" And I remembered about Change in Me that they had mm -hmm. added it late in the run for Tony Braxton. Right, right, right. This I is got, Beauty and the Beast. Buddy. Beauty and the Beast. And um, and I had just come off doing Sister Act, and so I thought, oh, maybe I can get a poll quote from Alan. And yeah. Alan Menken is such an such a great man. I sent him that track. Within five minutes, he had sent it to Tim Rice. They both were sobbing, and he sent me that quote, which I, and he knew what he was doing for me by giving me that quote. Yeah. And um, it's it says, um, I'll see if I can quote it. Um, Elizabeth Wardland, despite her. Obvious beauty and charm, or something, has a musical sensibility that makes every song she touches shine. She's every composer's dream. I mean, how about that? So, so if that's what I took away from Sister Act, mm -hmm. I, I feel really fortunate. Great. Well, we'll see you uh, at uh, the Green Room 42 on the 27th, and we'll see you next time. Yes. Thanks. Yes.